0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Bengalis in New York show. My name is Arik, and uh, we're repping it for, you know, the Bronx, Manhattan, Brooklyn, Queens, Staten Island, and all over the world. So welcome, and enjoy. Woo! So welcome, Ramin. Last time we tried to do this, we had some technical difficulties. Uh, but one thing that's changed since the last time, I just realized, Trump's no longer around. How's that, how's that changed your job?
1: You know, it's funny that you say that. I mean, I think it's had a lasting impact on the world of journalism. So our job very much remains uh, the same as the last time you and I spoke.
0: So you work in TV broadcasting. Um, Where did you you get your start in journalism?
1: Um, I started uh, as a journalism student at Boston University. I started out as a print journalism major. And uh, I took one broadcasting class and kind of got hooked. So I had a great mentor, um, Bob Zelnick, who's a former ABC correspondent who had amazing um, experience, was a former Pentagon correspondent, a correspondent in Jerusalem and in Moscow, and um, really opened my eyes to a lot in the business, but also, um, you know, on a global level, uh, how journalism matters across the board, the stories we report nationally, how they have international impact and vice versa. so yeah that was my first hook
0: was there is there um like a journalist that you've always looked up to that you kind of seen yourself emulating
1: i don't think um necessarily emulating but it's you know there's always been a few i think it depends on different points in my life i remember um as a journalism student even um as somebody who wanted to pursue journalism i mean there was christiana amancur always was somebody who struck me considerably because of her worldly background um She had a different last name. I always like very much related to that because there was nobody I ever watched in the news growing up, even in the New York City market that resembled me, had a name as long as mine. Um, It wasn't, you know, a lot of young women and young men, you know, when they come into the business, they talk about really seeing themselves on television because they would see people who resembled them or they could see themselves in that spot. I never really saw that for myself. It took me a while to to believe it could happen for me. Yeah. Um, And I can't say when that really changed, but, you know, it was a gradual, gradual road, I think.
0: Do you think it's where it needs to be now in terms of number of South Asians in in TV? News? I think
1: the number of minorities, um, women, I think, um, no, it's nowhere close to where it should be. I think uh, we need far more representation across the world, um, across the board in journalism, In particular in the United States, I think sometimes too many um, of our news organizations maybe feel as though they have one person who may look like me or one other, you know, group and and it might be hit a check mark and that might feel like enough to them, but it certainly isn't enough for um, to really represent what our country looks like and what the issues that face Americans look like today.
2: Mm. So
0: you started off in a smaller market and then you moved to a bigger, market. is that typical of, uh, of how oh, it yeah. works in journalism?
2: Okay.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting because a lot of people think you just kind of like land in New York because yeah. you happen to be from here. I wish it were that easy. It was, it's a tough road. And I think it's a, and the tough road um, makes you better in some ways, but also is a big Testament to, you know, how much you learn along the way, but also it has a very negative impact on weeding out a lot of, Young minority um, people of color um, and people who come from backgrounds that are not so well to do, it almost weeded me out. You know, Um, you Mm got to start in these very small markets where you make really low salaries. I mean, really unlivable wages, if you think Mm -hmm. about it. Um, but I'm, I always li- like to share it because I think people always assume that because you're on television, you're doing really well and you're doing great. I mean, my first job was behind the scenes. I worked on the assignment desk in Albany, New York, and I, I used to call it my Carrie Bradshaw apartment because it was like this tiny studio, $500 a month rent. That was hard to pay for me wow. on the salary I was at. Um, I could barely... Make ends meet, and I really start ate a lot of ramen and mom's leftovers. I didn't; my parents didn't have the money to help me. Um, I remember my television being on a cardboard box, and I worked incredibly late hours. That was how I started in the business behind the scenes. And then when I got the job in Syracuse, New York, that was my first on-air job, Mm. and I made a whopping salary increase. No, very (laughs) much joking. I I made twenty thousand dollars a year. Wow. I I talk about that because I think it's really important for people to hear it, like this numerical number attached to yeah. what people make. I mean, it was it was hard. It was it was definitely very tough. Um, but and and I can see why so many people give up. Uh, yeah. I wanted to a bunch of times,
0: or don't pursue it. So you you know you talk about lack lack of representation. Maybe and they, tell me if I'm wrong. Maybe it's maybe part of it is that South Asians don't pursue it. What do you think? Because of the um, because of the um, uh, salaries?
1: You know, I can only speak from personal experience. And I also know from, you know, people that I've spoken to, whether they're South Asian, whether they're other people of color. um, Yeah, I know for a fact that it has weeded out a lot of people. Unfortunately, we've lost a lot of diverse voices in the journalism industry because of how difficult we've made it for people to get into this business to begin with.
2: Mm. So your
0: parents, I'm sure are now super proud and you're on TV. So during that time when you were in Syracuse and Albany, did they tell you like, what are you doing? Like you didn't bring you to this country.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, there was a lot of that. Um, it took my dad a few times, a few pit stops before he was suddenly understanding of what I was going after and what I was doing. Um, it certainly didn't happen in my time in Albany and Syracuse. Um, he kept trying to get me to go pursue my graduate degree or, you know, get some other jobs um, and, and kind of give up on the journalism thing. Cause he said, you're struggling, you're struggling. You barely can afford groceries. And this is not what I came here to this country for you to do. And you went to a really prestigious university. You have student loans. I mean, what are you doing?
2: Yeah. And,
1: and, and, a lot of times I thought the same thing, you know, I remember sitting at home, getting home from work at midnight and being like, what am I doing? Like, will this even work out for me? Um, so there are, yeah, there were definitely times that I kind of like thought about giving up. And then when I got to Hartford, Connecticut, I remember, I think there was another Bangladeshi family who I don't know, um, who happened to be at the same... Get together as my parents in New York, and they randomly brought up a Chowdhury that they saw on the news. And my father somehow heard it, and it's like, wait a second, are they talking about my daughter? <laughs> and, and it was this, it was, I will never forget that phone conversation because he called me immediately after and was like, and suddenly I heard a change in his tone with me.
2: Love it. I love it.
1: Yeah. So it definitely right. changed.
0: I was talking to this really uh, talented artist yesterday. His name is Zeehan, Uh and he's been featured on our page. Super talented. He, his paintings go for a lot of money. It'll, probably the only Bangladeshi painter that I know that does that well. And he's he mentioned that his dad never actually has spoken to him about his painting, even though he does. Like he he sells out galleries and things like that. But I asked him. He uh, you know he probably does talk about YouTube. Yeah to his friends, right? Because that's, that's like a very Bengali dad thing
2: to, to do.
1: You know, I think sometimes, and maybe it's changing. I think in the, you know, I'm first generation. I was born and raised in this country. Um, and I think a lot of how we quantify success, like at least our parents' generation, especially after they come to this country, is monetarily. But mm. the old, younger generation, are changing that. Like For me, my success was never quantified by the amount of money I had in my bank account. Because mm. trust me, I, I was far from successful then in the beginning. I was in debt. I was in serious debt. Mm. Um, yeah. So I think, I think that there was something that had to shift that, um, in thinking. And a lot of it was me talking very openly with my family about it. What I wanted to do, I genuinely, as corny as I think it might sound to some people, I felt a community's pressure on my shoulders. I really Mm. felt like I was doing this not just for myself. I was doing this to give my community, not just South Asians, but my Muslim community, a voice. It was very, very important to me because I saw how tremendously lacking it was in in newsrooms in Albany and Syracuse, New York. Can you imagine the conversations Mm. that would go up, you know, about a variety of world news, or even domestic news. Well, wow. Gosh, I dreaded if there was a terrorist attack and any Muslim name was ever mentioned. Mm. I dreaded it. Because then I became spotlight on me, sole voice to bring reasoning and understanding in our news coverage. I felt like the single person to kind of lend that voice. Mm. But I feel a responsibility for that. I think it's really important. It's why more voices are necessary to diversify people's understanding of it, of coverage of various issues.
2: Now, I guess you kind of answered
0: my question that I had written was, you know, how do you stay objective when, mm-hmm. um, when some of these topics come up that relate to your uh, culture and your religion? I guess, I mean, you're saying you stay objective, but you also you know, keep in mind that you have this voice that maybe other
2: people wouldn't, wouldn't have.
1: You know, obj- I think that's two different things. I mean, objectivity objectivity is extremely important, and I think I bear perhaps. And I, I've heard many other colleagues um, who come from other backgrounds say the same thing. We feel more pressure to be object as even more objective than perhaps other counterparts would be, mm. because we know that our the eyes are on us. You know that people. Would assume a sensitivity or softball kind of story. So I think objectivity is, a, is very important to me. I mean, I believe in old school journalism. We are presenting purely the facts. It's not up to me to give you a conclusion, an opinion. It is for you to at home to determine what, what your opinion is. Um, so objectivity is something I take very seriously, and fairness is something I take very seriously. I think my background gives me deeper insight. I can dig into things differently that other people perhaps wouldn't think to dig into. Um, I think there are other aspects of, our, you know, of my background that I, I've utilized in this business that's been tremendously um, helpful in gathering stories and speaking to people and getting people to open up to me um, on issues that they wouldn't talk to other
2: people about.
0: Cool. I wanted to talk about journalism as a career. Um, If I, if I can, uh, so in finance, for example, it's easy to plot out sort of where you're going, you know, you're, you're an analyst, you're a director, let's say you do well, imagine directors, you can kind of see if you do well, this is where you Yeah. there's kind
1: of a pathway there, right? Yeah.
0: Exactly. So
2: in journalism, uh, specifically TV, uh, can you do that?
1: You know, I think there used to be a much more clearer path. It was a difficult path. I think so much has changed today, even from when I started in this business. I'm pretty much ancient now, I think. Um, I did take a more traditional path. And that was starting out in these much smaller markets, building my way up, slowly ex- You know, building experience. But now New York City, you want to be... To get to the number one market, New York City was you had to have at least 3 to 4 pit stops before you got here you would never wow. get hired straight out of school
2: wow. but
1: smaller news stations didn't exist or at least didn't have like the impactful like kind of exposure they do now now like with the with digital with you have a way to give yourself a name before people who have more experience do so i've seen in more recent years there are kind of like a lot of shortcuts to get to different places. I certainly think experience and starting out in those smaller markets are really important, but that's kind of very biased of me because it's what I did. I saw how it helped me, right? But I've seen plenty of people that haven't done it and have had incredibly successful careers and have gotten, you know, in 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 more lucrative and higher positions than I did or or that I'm in with far fewer stops, you know, and they're very talented individuals. So, you know, it's about getting, you know, I guess reaching out to the right people. Networking is super important in this business. Something Mm -hmm. I've always like kind of struggle with, you know, the schmoozing aspect of the business, but, um, you know, networking, getting to know people, um, putting yourself out there in different ways. I think uh, social media certainly allows people different platforms nowadays. Right.
0: Why do you think, why do you think you'd enjoy, or you weren't, you said good at networking.
1: Oh my gosh. It's, you know what it is? I think sometimes, um, you're doing it for the purpose of like, you know, advancing yourself, getting your name out there. And like, I guess people make the assumption if you're on TV, you love to like chit chat. And I, I I just love being around my circle of people. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, you know, like it's a comfort zone thing. I mean, going out to like a networking event and, you know, schmoozing with people you don't know. And, Sometimes, you know, I've become more insular as I've gotten older. So that's what I mean by that. I mean, I do it. I absolutely you have yeah. to do it in this business. You got to go out there and talk to people. But I like my comfort zone sometimes. We're out there talking to people all day. Um, yeah. Sometimes you like to be in your little sheltered hole, I think, at I the end of the that. day. yeah. Have you
0: been starstruck by any, any sort of like news person that's mm,
2: famous?
1: You know, I'm, it's so funny. I, I get asked this question and I can never think of an answer until like days later. Um, Mm. I don't know. I think I've had the ability to kind of like, absolutely. There are people that will intimidate you. And there are, um, people that you interview that you're like, okay, this, you know, like this is, this is something, you know? Um, but it's funny when I'm put on the spot, I can never like kind of think of somebody. Mm -hmm. And again, I'm sure I'll think of somebody later. Um, but there's definitely interviews that I've gotten nervous for. Absolutely. Um, you know, like I don't want to mess this up. A lot's riding on this interview, or like there's somebody who's so incredibly accomplished, and here you are, like, oh yeah, you know, asking them about like their life's works, and you want to, you just want to get it right, right? So, um, yeah, yeah I think that pressure is a good pressure, though. Staying nervous or getting excited yeah. for different interviews is definitely a good thing.
0: I enjoy this. I enjoy the podcast. I get to talk to people that honestly I would never have gotten to talk to people like you. I've had yeah. like astro- astrophysicists on you know, and I've had like startup founders and just like people that like completely are outside of my circle. that I would. Never I
1: know, think. I've been seeing that on your podcast. I mean, you know, it's really, it's really cool. You know, like there are so many careers that so many Bengalis are in and it's so incredible to see it. It's really, really, really inspiring. Yeah. Um, you know, even when you're in the career you're in, you still need to be inspired. So it's really yeah. great to see not even just younger generations but even older ones before us that have done so much to kind of you know do something different against the grain i think it's pretty cool and yeah. they get to be featured on your podcast so that's neat
2: yeah
0: yeah and i'm, I'm an honored to have them i'm gonna you started in print so how is that how is that dynamic different uh print versus tv
1: i mean funny like if you ask my family they're like well of course you ended up in tv because you like to talk all the time and like, they'll, <laughs> they'll they'll say i'm like the chatterbox so like they, they felt like it was kind of an obvious pick for me. Print, um, my appeal with print was like, I kind of grew up, you know, we always had a New York Times delivery and my dream was always to write for the New York Times. You know, it was the prestigious mm-hmm. paper um, in New York City and in, in, in the greater New York area. And I always, uh, I don't know, it was, like, it was like what I saw growing up. So to me, that was what I wanted to do. Print is very different from um, from broadcasting. I think when it, from a variety of places, I mean, sometimes you have more time to work on stories. If you have particular beats, there are, and I, I got to, I had a really unique experience where I kind of got a taste of print. Um, when I was working in Hartford, the newsroom, the television operation we worked at shared a newsroom with the Hartford current, one of the oldest running newspapers in the country. And some of the greatest lessons I learned in journalism in you know investigative reporting came from my colleagues there. And we I got to share a byline with people. Um, I had actual pieces printed with others. We helped break stories together. It was kind of teamwork. Um, and it was and it was great to kind of dig behind the scenes. You know, um the day-to-day broadcast deadline can be grueling. You start the day off with a morning meeting, you set up, you know, with your photographer and you're collecting interviews and you that has to get on for the five o'clock newscast. And that doesn't mean your story has to be handed in at 5 p.m. It means your story has to be filed, completed, edited back at the station to air live at five, but a half an hour before, you know? So we work with really tight deadlines where sometimes, you know, you look at a story in the paper and there's really time, more time invested in getting to the real meat of certain stories. And it's not to say broadcasting doesn't do it, but it has to do it in a much quicker format. Because think of a human being's attention span, right? So yeah, yeah. You, so it's different. Think,
0: but uh, what do you think social media is doing to sort of the dynamics of both? I know that you still uh, have print, you still have print and TV station uh, or um, organizations on social yeah. media. So that's not they're still there. But what do you think about people getting their news from Twitter and, and Facebook and
1: Yeah, I like guess. That? I mean, honestly, I think I have a very complex kind of. Un, like, um, response to that, I guess. I mean, because I really am very old school when it comes to how I like to get my news. I'm not a fan of like clickbait. And I think Twitter obviously is a lot of clickbait. So we have a lot of people who become like expert headline readers. And if you ask them for like, you know, more understanding of a story, oftentimes they haven't clicked past, you know, the story or, you know, past the first paragraph. Yeah. Um, but that being said, People are so much busier these days. Um, They need quicker information. Mm. And so there's a reason why there is this appeal in getting your news through social media sometimes, right? So everybody's kind of in this position of kind of adjusting people's access to news. We know news is still very important, but how do people value it and how and what do they want to get out of it from whom? You know, I think different platforms offer you different things. So. I mean, I think that's kind of a complex response to your, your question, but... No, understood. Going back to yeah. TV, I guess the only thing I
0: can think of when I think about a news station is, did you watch Newsroom? I used to love that show, Newsroom. How accurate was newsroom that? Newsroom
1: was fun. Yeah, no, it was a good show. I've, uh, the funny thing, the thing is, I've always loved watching like different, anything about the news yeah. world is fun to me, you know, because yeah. there's certainly, you know, so many elements of you to be like, yep, I could see that conversation completely playing out in a newsroom you know, when you're talking about what to cover, I think the editorial meetings are the most, like, probably the funnest kind of part of a newsroom to kind of, you know, be, you know, to surveil, I think, you know, because Mm -hmm. that's where, like, the ideas happen, you know, that's where everyone kind of comes together to discuss what's going to happen and who's, you know, who's going to cover what story during the day and how you're going to execute it. So, yeah, newsroom has that element to it and there's definitely... A lot that's glamorized for Hollywood, but yeah, a yeah, little bit of this, a little bit of that, and you get a TV show, right?
0: So, yeah, I wish I hope they bring it back because if you remember what they did was they went back each episode, they went, kind of went back to an important event and showed how that newsroom analyzed and covered that story. I mean, so the last four years has been so much going on. I hope they bring that show back and analyze this sort of like, you know, what's, what happened in 2016 yeah. and what happened in 2017, like things like that. That would be super interesting. You're from, you're from Queens, right? You grew up in Queens.
1: I grew up in Jamaica, Queens. Um, and then my parents actually moved to Dutchess County, okay. um, in Wappinger's Falls, which is like an hour and 15 North of the city. And I jokingly refer to it like a kind of like a boarding, uh, school experience because wow. every weekend we were in the car coming back to New York city. um, we felt really isolated up there until my mm. parents, like until more Bengalis moved there and they had more of like a, a circle of friends. So, mm. um, so it's funny. i like, I don't really identify with having grown up there. I feel like I, Queens raised grew
0: me, up in Queens. you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We talked about this last time. I remember you talking, you grew up in the uh, embassy building where all the Bengalis is <laughs> like all the Bengalis grew up, right?
1: Oh yeah. The embassy building. Um, so many memories at the park across the street, um, yeah. playing on the sidewalks. I mean that those were the days where like we would like dump off our school bags and run outside without parental supervision.
2: So oh my God, that doesn't really
1: happen anymore, <laughs> yeah, but it was a great yeah. experience growing up. There were so many of us, um our parents, you know, they were one another's family then,
2: yeah you
1: know, it was before you know, we had other family members who eventually immigrated to the country and um those first, first groups of um, Bangladeshis that came here, they had only each other. They were like very much like our my extended family.
0: I so. grew up in a similar building in Brooklyn, um, similar yeah. to an embassy MB, buildings uh, The entire building was Bengali. And I went back uh, last weekend and it was just, it had this like this really weird nostalgic feeling. Do you go back to Jamaica and that area? And and how Yeah,
1: you for sure. I mean, there's actually like a lot of like, the areas changed so much. Right. Oh, yeah. I mean, before like the number of Bangladeshis that there were was pretty much in that building and, mm. um, and maybe like a couple of, you know, scattered around. I mean, now it feels like little Bangladesh on Hillside Avenue, you know, it is, yeah. um, it's, and you know, like the grocery stores and all that. Like, I mean, we were not able to find halal meat and and like, you know, down the wow. street, the wow. fact that like, they have all those shops, um, on Hillside now. That didn't exist when I was growing up there. Um, you know, my parents had to go to Jackson Heights and that was the closest one, but even then it was a lot of Indian grocers. Like, Halal Muncher took a little bit of time to get to, you yeah. know, get going. Um, so, yeah. yeah, it was very different. So to go back now, it's there's, like, familiarity, but then there's also, like, it's very different. Um, even, like, the masjid that's there, like, my dad was one of the founding members of the Jamaica oh right there yeah massive it's like,
2: it's massive, massive now massive. but it was yeah. a, it was
1: we did RV school out of that not the building that you see now it was a little house
2: wow you know wow. it was just
1: like it looked like a little regular house we all like lined up different parents took turns to walk us to RV school and uh we yeah. walked down the street go to go to class um what looked like you know it was a living room turned into wow. uh you know a prayer room so very different from what it is today
0: Wow. Do you go back to Bangladesh I, and are you tuned into sort of the journalism industry there?
1: Yeah. Um, so, my, so yeah, I do go back to Bangladesh often um, before pandemic, much more before yeah. children, um, I should say, oh, much yeah. more. And I used to go like, we used to go like almost every other year. Then, like, obviously, when school started, it was definitely once every three to four years. Most of my mom's side of the family is still in Bangladesh. Okay. Um, my dad's, m- most of my dad's side of the family had immigrated here, but still, there was still family there. Um, so I feel a very strong connection to Bangladesh and to um, to Dhaka, to Silat in particular, to, you know, no matter how much I travel around the world, my favorite place in the world is Silat. Um, there's something oh. so incredibly beautiful about where my mother's family is from. And, you know, the, not my Nana side of the family grew up, and the house is still there. And we would spend, so much time there you know like cousins all get you know i remember trips like on the train from Dhaka to Silet, all you know a bunch of us on there together and spending a you know 10 days in Sulet, and it was some of the best childhood memories for sure so yes went there quite often and i miss going back
0: um so you know an interesting thing happened today we did a post about uh this law i guess it's like a uh in ba- this law that was passed in Bangladesh was really critical of the law and then kind of critical in the government and I'm not involved as involved with Instagram as I, as I used to be. So the other people right. post. So then I looked at it and I was like, wow, this is really critical of the government. And it made me realize like how we take, you know, freedom of the press for granted here. Right. Like I could do that yeah, here easily. Really,
1: I've always found it really interesting. I, wherever I've traveled, um, around the world, I always find it interesting to turn on the news in that particular country and kind of see how things are done. Um, you asked my exposure to journalism. I mean, interestingly enough, my uncle on my mom's side, Dandria um, Choudhury, is an Al Jazeera correspondent in Bangladesh. Mm-hmm. So he's covered very extensively the Rohingya crisis. Um, amongst many other stories, if there's a story of, um, you know, of international significance coming out of Bangladesh and Al Jazeera is covering it, oftentimes my uncle is reporting there. Um, maybe it runs in my blood, right? So, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> So he has been... Um, really an interesting perspective for me to always, um, you know, kind of discuss all of this with. I, I certainly have my opinions about how um, news is gathered in Bangladesh. He's obviously with Al Jazeera, which is a different kind of journalistic standard than like if you worked for the Bangladeshi news mediums. And, and yeah, there's a lot of control yeah. um, by the government of, um, the press. And I think you see that very simply in the types of stories that are covered. Um, it's an appearance of freedom of press, but, um, okay. as a journalist here in the U S in New York, it, it is not freedom yeah. of the press. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I definitely have a lot of, um, you know, observations about what I see there and, and the types of stories that are covered and, and you know, honestly, you have to really think about a lot of times, you know, right now, the big story going out, you know, vaccinations are going out across the country and so many people are getting vaccinated in Bangladesh. And I had a question to one of my cousins about equity. You know, is it going out in an equitable manner across all of Bangladesh? Like, does it matter? Like, can, can somebody who comes from low income go to the same hospital, somebody who's wealthier in Gulshan, for example, and get the same vaccine? And they said, "Yeah, the paper says everyone's getting it." And I just had a big question mark in my, you know, over my head because I said, "You know, how do you trust information um, in some places, in some countries, and in Bangladesh? I think sometimes you have to be a little wary about how information is getting out there. Who's giving you the information? And our journalists cross-checking that. Do they feel safe to cross-check it and report it? Yeah, these are like all um, all things that you kind of have to see. Is the transparency there on both?" on both sides.
0: Yeah. Especially in a country like Bangladesh where access is everything, right. It's all, who you know, yeah. I mean, you're so much more than, than, than here. Um, yeah. 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 So
1: there's, I, I think I, there's so much, right. I, I, I think I also saw it very much firsthand. I, I went to Bangladesh on a trip, a personal trip, but I ended up going to the Rohingya camps. And I brought back the story here, but even in my time there, like it was, The people's impression of what was going on with the refugee camps and what I witnessed firsthand was very different. Um, What was being reported in the Bangladesh press was different from what I witnessed with my own two eyes. And what the information I was getting on the record from international organizations there. So, and if you saw the international reporting of the Rohingya crisis versus what you saw from, like, Bangladeshi press it was different and that told you where the information transparency did not exist
2: between the government and the press there was a lot
1: of suppression there was a lot of suppression of information there was a lot of um, suppression of numbers of treatment of Rohingya refugees Um, there was there was a lot of information that was frankly not shared with the press and frankly not truth when it Mm -hmm. came to uh, the Rohingya crisis and how refugees were treated Um, so that was something, and, and you saw that when I, when I spoke to people who are Bangladeshis and they, they had their ideas of how it was right. Um, based on what they, they would read in local papers, despite me telling them I saw something completely different. They didn't believe it. Wow. So yeah.
2: How long did did you uh, spend there?
1: I was there for about three days. Um, and, uh, and I was with a medical group. Uh, who had set up clinics throughout the day and from morning to night, these amazing doctors with the mana had um, had worked with the, worked with uh, the, the refugees and and treated infants, pregnant women, older um, refugees, people who had
2: been severely injured um, people who escaped with gunshot wounds with limbs
1: missing. I mean, it was, it was, it was Mm -hmm. terrible. It was terrible to hear people's accounts of what they'd survived and lived through. And, um, yeah, it was a really desperate, desperate time. It's a story I'll never forget. I'll never going to forget those faces and the people who like so bravely, you know, traveled to Bangladesh to save their lives and their families.
0: So you, when you came back and uh, I'm assuming you, um, did a story on them, um, why do you think it's been on the news recent? You know, it's right now, and so many organizations are covering it. But the the, um, the crisis with the Rohingyas has been going on for, I mean, decades, really. So why do you think? Why do you think it's so much easier? Uh, why, I guess specifically that. Situ- well, I think the genocide issue,
1: aspect of it is not. You know, the genocide right. aspect of it is new, and inter- getting even um getting even international countries to recognize other countries to recognize w- w- the atrocities that were committed. Um, took time, you know, Mm -hmm. there was, there was, you know, absolute denial from the Myanmar government about what had occurred until you started hearing direct accounts of what was happening um, from the people and, 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 you know, organizations like the United Nations and uh, a number of other organizations, right. They all like swarmed down to, um, to help and to, to, to start documenting and, and really take account. I mean, this is why journalism is important. Because if you simply took the word of one government that this didn't happen, these people are immediately silenced, you know, but journalists did some incredible work unfolding and telling the stories of the harrowing stories of what, um, what human beings suffered. So, um, yeah, and, and, and yeah, still, I think we talked about that a lot, even in the story that I did about why, why sometimes it feels like people don't care about all all cases of atrocities, right? It's like you give care to one and not some others. And um, one of the aid workers I spoke with who had traveled from England had told me that they felt that it was because, you know, Rohingyas are an ethnic mi- minority, right? So most people can't say that they know somebody who is Rohingya, you know? Mm. And a lot of times it's like, because you're, it's from this unrelatable territory, people tune out. And I, I, I like to think that we're not so simple-minded, you know, that we, you know, that we, we, you know, that we have empathy for people that even if we don't know or can't relate to, we could still have empathy for them. And I guess that's where the job of a journalist comes in. I feel really strongly about sharing the voices of, of the voiceless. I think it's really powerful.
0: Yeah. And, and no one has a, a, an interest to um, sort of be on their side, right? Like, if the 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 people on um, on on the Myanmar side, their argument is that they're Bengali. Um, the people on the Bengali side, Bangladesh side are basically their argument is that they left Bangladesh so long ago that they're now they they're no longer. Yeah, it's Bengali. it's
1: sad. I mean, the history of it is quite complex. I don't know if we yeah. could like get into yeah. it in a podcast, but I mean, it's you know, it's, when you think about where people are today and that nobody wants to take ownership, why should any country take ownership of somebody, right? Um, they, their home is where where they make it and where they want to make it. And frankly, does don't people just want to live in peace and and, and be able to you know provide for their families and earn um, fair you know a, a, a decent life you know and have a good job and just keep a roof over their head. So um, yeah, I mean the it, it's it's a complex situation, but I think it's it's sad when you see kind of everybody wanting to wash their hands of somebody and not want to take care of a, hu- of human beings. I mean, that's just, you know,
2: I, I don't know. Is
1: that where we're at, where we're at in humanity that we, we just turn
2: our backs on people that way. I, I hope not. Yeah. Um, So going back to, uh, yeah. it's
0: such a, such a, uh, I don't know. Um, Sad topic. I mean, we could talk about it forever, but it's like
1: I know. You're right. I mean,
0: we did a, so much. We we did uh, we did a panel discussion, and we actually we had the DACA, head of the DACA Tribune on. We had some AIDS workers yeah. that were um, that were that are on the ground now, and we had we spoke for an hour and a half, and that was an there's
1: some amazing. There are some amazing, amazing local groups, yeah, um, that have done very impactful work for for the refugees there. Yeah. There was a, there was a bunch of like local organizations um, who I just kind of, you know, just met along the way there. And, and, and that was really, I I think they did some of the most important stuff because being from Bangladesh, um, knowing the inner workings of how to get things done in Bangladesh, you know, like foreign workers, you know, they still have to navigate a lot of bureaucratic red tape to get simple things done sometimes in refugee camps. Um, But The Bangladeshi's that had um, organized and traveled to the Rohingya camps got things done in like pretty rapid speed when things Mm. needed to happen. So I think they did some of the most impactful work.
0: So what's what's next for you? I know um, you have. Do you have any special projects coming up? Uh, Anything you want people to um, just be on their on their radar?
1: You know like i'm I'm on social media. you can always hit me up if there's something in your community something that's going on that you think that um, we should be covering on the news um, absolutely hit me up. I'm happy to take in any and all ideas and look into um, whatever you have happening. I think right now, obviously we are in full pandemic mode, right I mean there I mean thank goodness there is some light at the end of the tunnel, and we are. Who could believe, you know, a year later, we have an actual vaccine for this virus. But I mean, we had so many Bangladeshis in New York that were impacted so deeply, lost so many lives.
2: Oh, yeah.
1: um, To to COVID-19. And we covered quite a few stories. And that's pretty much what I do every single day at work, Uh, cover different parts of COVID. But, you know, there's obviously ways that people have had to, like, live. Right. And we've had so many, um, so many things that we've had to cover still connected to the pandemic, but how about our lives on a daily basis. So, yeah, we're always looking for new projects, always looking um, to, you know, kind of expand the stories that we tell. So and and always looking for new ideas. And then I'm always, um, you know, obviously we are having more in the community get politically engaged. So I've been invited a few times to moderate a few debates here and there, um, which, have, which has been really cool because I think it's a great way to get everybody engaged, no matter what party you stand for, no matter um, what your beliefs are and what you, you know, want to happen in your community. I think you should have a voice and I think getting um, South Asians involved in community politics from like the very localized level to the national level is something that's, that's really, really important and cool to see
0: great to see even in the Biden, Biden administration's key positions uh, being filled by not to South Asians, by Bengalis, which is, which is great.
1: Yeah, I know. It's, it's great. And again, that's why representation really matters across the board, whether it's journalism, politics, musicians, painters, yeah. finance, everywhere across the board, it's really important um, to have our voice everywhere. I don't think yeah. one is ever enough. Um, there should always be more.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Well, great having you on. Um, I would Thanks. love to have you back on uh, to talk about other things uh, that you have going on, but um, yeah, I mean, it's great to see someone like you, you know, on television, like you said, representation is so important. I'd love to see others being inspired and going you know, into journalism because, you know, they Yeah,
1: it. no. And if anybody ever has any questions about, you know, career direction, how to get into the business, I'm happy to talk to you, lend advice. Um, We are a small group of, um, you know, a a small family of reporters all over New York City, you know, and so we can always talk to one another and share insight into like internship availabilities in different places. So, yeah, if you need advice, you always can uh, hit me up on social media. I'm on Facebook, Instagram.
2: Great. Thank
0: you. Appreciate it. Gotta be honest, with diamonds and pearls. Yeah, yeah. Bengalis in New York, all over the world. Uh, it's the bony show. Hey, uh, can you handle this? Representing the boroughs where the bangles live. From the slang we spit to the gangs we with, it doesn't matter. We the essence of the Bangladesh. I said, hey, come on. Can you handle this?
2: Representing the boroughs where the bangles live.